0: Begin transmission. Transmission. The Frontline Gaming Network presents Art of War. Strategy and tactics. Discussions with the best players on the planet. The Frontline Gaming Network. Presenting Art of War with Nick Nanavati and John Damaris.
1: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Art of War podcast. We are so lucky to be joined this week by the one and only Ennis Wilson, famous team captain of the Scottish WTC team who is going to help us break down a chaos list. Joining me as always on the podcast is the one and only Nick Natavati. I guess we have a lot of one and onlys this week. My apologies, everyone, Uh, who doesn't really need an introduction, but I'm going to give you one anyway because I love to embarrass the guy. He's one of the best players in the history of 40K, having won everything pretty much. Um, I can't think of anything that he hasn't won. Maybe Nova, maybe not. I'm not 100% sure. Um, but he's going to help us by asking a lot of great questions about Ennis' chaos list, and we'll get going from there. Nick, why don't you go ahead and introduce Ennis, and let's get started talking
2: about his list. Yeah, thank you for the glowing recommendation, as always, John. Uh, just for clarification, I have not won Nova Open, but I've won the Nova Invitational three times, so there's an asterisk there. But anyways, this isn't about me. This is about Innes. Innes is a good friend of mine from Scotland. He's on the Scottish ETC team, now WTC, I suppose. Uh, one of the best players out there. We've only played one time, but he got the best of me in that round. Uh, and we are here to talk about his very interesting chaos list that he actually brought to a team tournament. So Innes, how are you doing?
3: I am doing really well. Thank you, the one and only Nick and the one and only John. Um yeah, so it's uh it's been a good time. Just getting into the start of the groups of ninth, we had our first tournament uh, last weekend, as as the time of now. Uh, and I took a really, so I suppose different chaos list, but using a lot of elements you'll have seen elsewhere.
2: Yeah, awesome. So why don't you just bring it, run us from top to bottom. What is your list?
3: All right. So it is a triple detachment chaos soup list, which I'm sure is going to have some people absolutely confused. Uh, so it's a chaos demons battalion, which is my lord warlord, who is a lord of change with Baleful Sword, and then he has the minus one damage, the six of field, no pain, and the three of vulnerable save, the fairly standard. The Contorted Epitome with the Forbidden Gem, which is the one that lets you turn a character off within 12 for one phase. Three times four, uh, three, four squads of three Narglings, and that is it for the Chaos detachment. Then we have a Cult of Duplicity Thousand Sons Attachment, which gets you access to uh, a psychic power that's functionally to jump or Gate of Infinity, which has a Terminator Sorcerer, five Rubric Marines, and a Chaos Spawn. And then finally, there is a Mortarian's Anvil Death Guard uh, Detachment, which is a Vanguard Detachment. That's the one that gets you access to the 2 CP or 3 CP if you have five more models. reduced damage by one against shooting for Terminators, and the 1 CP Heroic Intervention for an infantry unit. And that Detachment has a Malignant Playcaster, 10 Blight Lords with two Flails, two Foul Blight Spawn, a Noxious Blight Bringer with the five of Invulnerable Save Bubble Relic, a Tallyman, and two fives are spawn with 5 of Fialmo Pain. And that's it. it. starts with 2 CP.
2: Awesome. So, really cool, interesting chaos list here. We haven't seen Blightlords in a minute. Uh, let's talk about that Death Guard detachment. It's Mortarian's Anvil. What does that do for them?
3: So, yeah. So, it basically gives you access to um, a reduced damage shooting strategy for the Terminators. I don't think I've ever used it, but it's always there, just in case you're going to go up against something like, you're about to get shot by the world of Stalkerbolt Rifles, and you want to literally half the damage output. And then it also gets you access to what I think was one of the keys of the list was the 1CP Relaptic Assault Stratagem, which lets a Mortarion's Anvil infantry unit heroically intervene as if it was a character. It's just a standard through each heroic intervention, but on 10 Blightlords, that's a terrifying amount of space you can block off.
2: Yeah, that's actually... I think that heroic interventions right now in Ninth edition are one of the most underrated and most powerful rules that are. One of the reasons I think like Blood Angels are a fantastic army is because they have a 6-inch heroic intervention strat. So being able to give that to Light Lord Terminators of all things is phenomenal. Park them on an objective. Your opponent's going to want to bring some obsec, like 5 scouts or whatever. Just, just tagging the objective to steal it away from you. And you're like, actually, I'm going to kill those scouts now and gain some free movement. Very cool. I'm surprised you don't use that minus 1 damage strat more often,
3: though. It's um, because it's really expensive. So it's three CP if you have six or more models. Oh
2: uh, yeah. So it's like it has yeah. to be it's like a once per game, then this is what you're doing kind of
3: that thing. that is one hundred percent of my CP most turns.
2: Right. I, I was and, gonna say he only starts with two CP, Nick. So yeah, <laughs> it's true too. Let's talk about that. You are a chaos army with actual no CP. How I mean I I do something similar with my death card, I start with three. So how are you finding that?
3: It's it's surprisingly like not that big a deal because Demons don't really have stratagems that you care about. You may you don't need ever need to warp surge the Lord of Change. Um you might use like the minus one to hit on the on the contorta pit moon it's targeted. Not a big deal. The Thousand Suns, you're maybe looking at a CP reroll, or if you really need to keep the rubrics alive, we'll use the plus one invulnerable save stratagem. And then it's literally just, okay, I've got a couple of CP every turn for the Blight Lords. Uh I can Cloudiflize them when they drop in, just to make sure that they're not getting shot at. And I'll maybe CP reroll a charge. But there's nothing you can really spend CP on. Other than like niche damage output things, because all my defenses are just built into the list. As long as I'm using ruins effectively with the blight lords, or I'm using cloud of flies, which is a much easier way to just put a ruin in front of them functionally, you're just not having to spend CP frequently. I'll hit turn three or four, maybe having used one or two stratagems, and if I get lucky with the tallyman regeneration, I might still be on four CP going into turn four.
2: Gotcha. Uh, we're we're gonna pause the podcast like right here for. Seamus, because uh, I just want to make sure we're playing this rule right. You said you would drop in and use Cloud of Flies in the same turn?
3: Yep, because it's at any point in the movement phase. So, in exactly the same way that you could.
2: It is. I, I didn't realize you could Cloud of Flies after you Deep Struck. I thought they FAQ'd that to uh, not work. Is that not how it works?
3: Nope. That FAQ had a, a mysterious accident at the start of ninth edition. So, in the same way that you can do things like deploy scramblers that you arrive when you arrive at the end of the movement phase now all effects that you can do at the end of movement phase or during the movement phase can be used on units arriving during the reinforcement step because it's not the end of the movement phase anymore yeah that's uh, so very opened very up a clever. lot of options mm-hmm.
2: a lot of stuff so it's interesting because there are powerful strats you would want to use with your terminators like making all of their bolters into plague weapons and basically that leaving them is, rending that
3: would be cheating however because that stratagem is plague marine only
2: never mind it shows me what i know on my rules never mind then um I guess back to your list, how often do you deep strike your Terminators do you find? I, I would say
3: it's about half the games. So if I'm playing against something that's got a lot of backline shooting threats where I'm just going to be kind of walking up the board at it, the Black Lords are never going to get there. So they'll often just start in deep Strike in those games and try and drop in a central ruin. Whereas if I'm playing against a melee army where I know they're going to be coming to me, I will often just start them on the board because I want their presence, I want their threat to be able to say, they're the only real shooting in my list, so having the, excuse me, 32 bolt or shots just available to me in early turns is a lot more valuable in those games. So it tends, to, it tends to vary depending on, are there central objectives? Can I deploy onto objectives reasonably? Do I need to be warp timing other things, or can I afford to spend it on them every turn? So there's a lot of factors that go into it for me just saying, okay, I'm going to deep strike them if you've got a lot of shooting that I can't hide from, and I need to be warp timing the spawn, or I need to be warp timing characters around just to keep bubbles. Uh, it's not really like one, one, one size fits all. You've got to very much judge it based on what the game looks like, but often they're mostly just there to provide a threat range. So I want to drop them sort of in the middle of a cluster of three objectives and say, this area around here is mine. You can't be here. Whether they actually ever hit combat or not doesn't really matter to me.
2: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I'm. It's interesting because I, I'm so afraid of deep striking like a 10-man Lord unit or something because if my opponent can aggressively screen me out at all. There's just, you know, they're going to end up in like the middle of nowhere on turn three and it's just very sad. Is that not something you find happens ever or is that on a risky If you carabou- want to run
3: like a massive screening stuff into the Contorted Epitome and 10 spawn, you can be my guest is my basic print thinking on that because then I'll just lock you down for the entire game and I'll score all the objectives while you do nothing.
2: Yeah, that, that's very fair. Like They're never killing their way through that. So is that really why you have the epitome in there, just to help your spawn out?
3: So the epitome is in there for a few reasons. One, she pairs really well with the Lord of Change because he doesn't die. I, I'm not sure. I think it's in his rules. that It just says when at yeah, one wound, special, you can't that's die. Cannot yep. die. Uh, he didn't die in five games, although my friend did play a very similar list and he lost his in all five games and I was very happy about that.
2: Um, just because he actually can die, doesn't actually have that special one. Some people may not be as familiar with
3: yeah. Chaos. So he, can we walk
2: through how tough he is?
3: Yeah, so he is a 16 wound model, which means he does benefit from obscuring terrain. He has a 3-up vulnerable save as a result of his base being a 5-up uh, vulnerable save, which gets improved to a 4-up with the Relic, and then plus 1 for the Zinch ability Ephemeral Form, which gives him effectively a Storm Shield. He also gets 1 free reroll on that, although if he rolls a 1 or eight, he does immediately die, so I don't think I've ever used it out of sheer fear.
2: You could use it on the very last Wound. yeah but then it's like close yeah yeah
3: it, it's never come up because i've never had him the only time i've lost him was when i lost him by like significant overkill uh where it wouldn't have mattered so you it's very much a in case of emergencies press panic button and then he reduces one damage by one due to his warlord trait in corporeal form and then he is an exalted lord of change using the stratagem from engine war where he chooses aura of mutability as his ability which is a six-up feel no pain. So every time he takes damage, like from attacks specifically, so he wouldn't get it against things like explosions or mortal wounds, you can uh, roll a dice on a six. You ignore it and also heal a wound.
2: Yeah, he's uh he's like unkillable, basically.
1: There's so no then, there. if
2: I if I add all that up, that's a
1: three-up, um, three-up plus a six-up feel no pain that also heals you every time you do it, and you reduce all damage that comes in by one.
3: And your toughness seven with sixteen wounds, yeah.
2: Yeah, that's
1: that's
3: yeah, pretty hard. He to kill. just doesn't go <laughs> anywhere. He's two hundred and seventy-five points, jump. so he's not exactly cheap, and he doesn't do anything really. Uh, the way I've just described him, a
2: couple of smites a turn, yeah. right?
3: The way I've described him is he doesn't do anything, but he sure does do it for five turns.
2: <laughs> that's, a, that's a great way of describing it. Do you typically use him to take like Psychic Ritual or something like that?
3: It's That's very much like 50 50. What I like to do with him is actually stand him in front of the Contorted Epitome while she does Psychic like Ritual, just because then he can still do his Mortal Wound output, whereas she's a bit more range limited and doesn't have the bonuses to cast.
2: And it's but like no one's going to go charge her because there's 10 spawns. There's a, a load of change and a right Foul Blight
3: like spawn stood behind them, so I'm going to fight you first. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, some about half of games I'll take Psychic Ritual. If they don't have a psyker it's obviously much more likely, and if there's a central objective, I, I get even more likely to take it, just because I can park the Lord of Changes and some spawn on it, and that makes it much happier for me. If I'm gonna have to be using him to harass a flank or go into my opponent's deployment zone just to lock things down, I tend to avoid it and go for more stable secondaries. But yeah, he's been he's been—he's an absolutely fantastic toolbox. He does eat up 2 CP and your Warlord trait, uh, but it's absolutely worth it, because he does just he just stands there and makes it very difficult for your opponent to deal with, but he's also just on the right side of people feel like they can do damage to him that they are often inclined to shoot things at him like las cannons, eradicators. Uh, I had a custom player sink like five CP into the double tap your rapid fire weapons, just constantly trying to wear him down, and it doesn't work.
2: I don't know why you would even try. I mean. He doesn't do anything, as you've said. It's it's things like,
3: like... because I take things like while we stand, we fight on him sometimes, and they often have assassinate and aboard the witch. It's often that feeling of like, well, if I don't kill him, I'm giving up so many points.
2: Yeah, yeah. It's Um, robbing you five, giving myself three, giving myself five. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Where it's just, it's not an efficient plan. You should just be going after the other things, but because he is almost killable, people tend to go for it which i think is something yeah, he's go like if i throw the
2: kitchen sink at him he will die but like realistically he won't and on top yeah, of that if, if, so- if you don't do him in like one shot and you you know you see that he's limping around with like four wounds left just go hide him behind a wall he's still 16 wounds like you said
1: all right guys i'm an i'm a newer player but i'm gonna ask a question is this the classic example of the distraction effects?
3: yeah he is he is the ultimate distraction effects in 4k right now i don't think there's anything that's close to him can yeah, you guys yeah. explain
1: that concept for maybe a newer player who's just new to ninth so, edition? Or?
3: The, uh, Nick, do you want to handle this one? Because this is a, a terminology Yeah, sure. Thing. So,
2: distraction, effects. I don't know where this terminology came from. effects aren't so distracting anymore. Fourth but, edition. But. Fourth edition. Um, it's, it's just timeless, I guess. Basically, the idea is you have something so, so tough and not ultimately that integral to your strategy and not so impactful to the game. So, if it dies... You're not like, oh no, the game is lost. I've lost my key unit. He's not like Magnus or Rotarian. This dude doesn't do anything, as we've said. He Cast a couple of smites a turn. But he's so hard to kill that anyone who shoots him is like falling for your distraction. effects in air quotes, the Lord of Change in this case. It's just a distraction for the rest of your army, basically. But he can do things, like like, i is saying, he can perform the second ritual or help the epitome do it you can cast mortal wound powers which may
3: yeah, you're might looking at a smite at plus two to cast and then your choice of either gaze of fate for a free reroll bolt of change for another d3 damage at 18 inch range that's targeted so you can pick out like try and put wounds on characters and things like that and then also you have the option of just going for the gate of infinite, or what's it called gate of uh, the the
2: the one the where cult you duplicity do power no no the... you... oh infernal gateway is that what you're trying to
3: say infernal gateway that's the one where you do d three mortal wounds to the closest unit within twelve and then everything within three inches of that mo- of that model also takes d three but if you cast on a twelve plus which with the lord of changes native plus two becomes a ten plus which is over five turns if you cast every turn you've got a decent chance of getting it at least once does just rip through army so he's at that right point of He's slightly too killy to ignore because he is—he's five thunderhammer attacks in combat, strength six, uh, and then he's also a couple mortal wounds every turn, maybe like four, five, six if he gets lucky. Uh, that you just—you don't want to just let him stand there because he'll kill—he'll clear, clear an objective and stand on it by himself, and then he's a character he's going to horribly intervene into you, um, where you feel like you need to deal with him, but you can't deal with him efficiently while you're also dealing with all the other very efficient death guard stuff. And that's kind of where the list finds its finds its form.
2: No, that makes a lot of sense. So it's interesting to me. You've kind of taken a lot of concepts that are typical for a, for a Chaos list. I've seen the Lord of Change because, again, it's very useful for exactly the reasons we just talked about. I've seen Nurglings typically more than just 12, but we'll talk about that in a second. Uh, I know Cult of Duplicity is kind of a staple for Thousand Sons these days, and Death Guard is just really good. Chaos Bond, of course, super durable. It's interesting how you put it all together, though, and kind of... I don't want to say like half measured your tools, but basically everything you've taken is like not at, like you don't have 15 spawn. You don't have 30 nerdlings, but you have more stuff. You have Lord change you Lords, et cetera. So you've gone for more things in your army, but less all in on certain concepts. How's that been going for you?
3: So it's worked out really well. If I'm being completely honest, uh, the list has won me like significantly higher than like 90% of its games because it just, it does just, everything works so well together you have everything is super durable because the kind of fire that kills narglings is the same kind of fire that kills the lord of change is the same kind of fire that kills the spawn because the spawn are running around with a five of feeling no of pain and a five of invulnerable save and they're behind a wall and then there's narglings that are stood on all the objectives and then if you try to come and clear the narglings with combat you're going to be in threat range of the spawn and if you try to come and shoot stuff well you don't have enough shooting because there isn't enough shooting in the game to deal with all of this so it just kind of perfectly meets that point where the only way to deal with it is to engage it. And if you engage it in the wrong way, it runs you over. And that's what I've really liked about it.
2: Yeah. So what what do you mean by engage it in the wrong way? Do you mean like tricks like the foul blightspawn which you talked about where if someone charges into your Blight Lord Terminators and they're in their foul blight spawn range they're gonna you're gonna fight first yeah, and kill so them? Like, or if is you try more to
3: engage it? in combat you're you're probably going to lose. There aren't really good ways to engage it just because of the way that the Foul Blight Spawn aura interacts with the uh, no no longer fighting first effect. So if you charge the spawn, they hit you first. They've got full reels to hit from the Tallyman. They probably might be buffed up with Blades of Petrifaction for plus one to wound. They're going to do enough damage that you're not going to kill them efficiently enough. Even things like um, Alaris Terminators have gone into them and bounced, maybe killed one or two, just because they're so resilient for their points cost. And ultimately, it's an 115-point spawn squad. I don't really care what happens to it. So if you try to overcommit to kill the spawn or overcommit to kill the Lord of Change, You're going to be trading at an inefficient rate, and then all of my other very efficient stuff, stuff like the Foul Blight Spawn with their three damage flamers are just stood in the middle of it. If you're having to get close and personal to it, you're going to be getting into my threat ranges, where you're opening up things like warp time charges, getting shot, even just the fairly decent mortal wound output from just four psychers. There's not a really great way to stand there and say, I'm going to take you head on and also be contesting objectives because my arm is quite dispersed it stands in four or five different places as long as the auras are right for a couple of things you make it very hard to engage on you like i said it's very hard to engage on it in an efficient way that results in actually dealing with the problems without opening yourself up to really getting hammered back if it doesn't go a hundred percent right
1: okay well i've got a question but before we do that let me take a quick break for a note from our sponsors
0: This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends you new cartridges, so you never have to think about ink. Save up to 50%. You’ll pay less than5 dollars a month for ink and never run out again. Find out if your printer is eligible, and enroll today at HPinstantink.com. Conditions apply. For details, visit HP.com/instantinkspotify. Spotify.
1: right, Ennis, so if, if I’m hearing you correctly, and one of the things that I’ve noticed about a lot of the death card lists is that they, they don't always play the scenario really well because they, they tend to want to ball up. But your list has got a Death Guard element, but and sure, that element might want to ball up, uh, but you have a lot of disparate elements like the Lord of Change or, or, or other things that allow you to exist on more parts of the board, thus playing the primary in, in a much more effective way. Is that kind of the list design that we're looking at?
3: Yep, that was definitely a consideration going into it. So I've got, obviously, the ball element where I want to keep all my characters fairly close together behind the spawn because that protects them really well the spawn are beasts. beasts now gain the ability to walk through walls through them being breachable now so you can protect your sort of juicy insides quite well with that and then the lord of change can go off and do his own thing wherever he wants on the board whether he's just screening characters in the middle because that's what objectives are or whether he's pushing to go and harass a flank the blight lords through like i'm going to say creative use of distances can make sure that they're locking down an area of the board with cloud of flies or just be being behind a wall. Uh, you can normally leave them off to do their own thing, as long as you're not worried about getting charged by something like Repentia or Blood Angels, where you might need to drop them into the Foul Blight Spawn Aura. And then obviously Nurglings early game, because they advanced deploy, gives you that time to get set up onto the board where you can start on two or three objectives. Your opponent has to then commit to deal with the Nurglings. They may- then maybe have to spend another turn themselves to get onto them unless they've gone in with combat when they're just coming closer to you anyway so you're opening up yourself to get advantages that way
2: so, so one thing i'm noticing about your list is that there's uh it's kind of like a giant brick right the spawn the foul blight spawn to protect them the terminators the characters all standing behind the unkillable of change who's just doing his thing this is army pretty much exists and influences a small sphere of the table minus the Nurglings and the Cult of Duplicity power, which lets you acknowledge that the other parts of the board exist. But if your opponent can work through your Nurglings, or if you know they can't hold objectives from out of, line of sight, potentially or whatever it might be, how do you? are you vulnerable to like being move blocked and trapped while your opponent is just running away with the table and scoring points?
3: So, yes, you are. And that's kind of where the the team play aspect comes into this. The, the one game that I lost that I felt really bad about was I got kind of given the runaround by Harlequins with all of their like while we stand, we fight shenanigans for putting that's everything to in reserve that's until turn exactly
2: what I would do to you. <laughs> and then bouncing
3: it. And yeah, that was really rough. It was a really close game in the end, and it probably it could it came down to like a few dice rolls, uh, which could have gone one way or the other. And it was still only a three point loss, so I didn't feel too bad about it, especially in a team format. But in pairings, we were able to say, okay, any list like that, we will feed that to our Iron Hands blender, which will just take you off the board because you can't stand up to that much shooting with that style of army. Um, and that's where the team pairings come into this. So obviously. As we discussed at the start, this was for an event called Clan Wars Team Series and then a bunch of practice games before that and a few other here and there's uh, where we were playing three-man teams and we used WTC style pairings where you're able to control the matchup to a degree. So any list like that, we just kind of either accepted that I wasn't going to get a massive score against or we just didn't pair me against. And that's one of those really powerful tools you get in team formats where you can design lists that are slightly more polarized than they should be if you were going to play them at a singles event. And this list plays really well into that because it's aggressively hostile to melee armies and then you just pair it into the right kind of shooting armies for you or the right kind of movement armies and then you get the opportunity to steamroll them.
2: Right. So that I just, I've just i played a lot of Death Guard and this falls very much into a similar kind of category where they struggle with that when someone is MSU and fast and mobile and upset. Carlequins were a great example and they just give you the runaround as you put it. That's typically something that this style list struggles with. So in a team format, it makes sense. You can just not play harlequins and, and let them go. You into
3: do the ground still game. have tools to deal with that. You've obviously you've still got warp time on spawn which moved seven so fourteen inches in charge. The Blight Lords can drop in and go for a charge and they lock down an objective really well with the ability to rogue intervention. So even if you are gonna try and put like five Harlequin troops on it, five Harlequin troops aren't going to live, ten blights ten blight lords. I, no, no I'm willing to take that bet. <laughs> Um, uh, yeah,
2: I mean, all that's definitely true. I'm hesitant to go for the long warp time charge plays with the spawn. I I don't. I do it when it's worth doing, but it does pull them out of the five pin wall aura range. I find. Yeah,
3: that can it's be true, it sure it does. But you've I've got two of them, and again, there are 115 point squad. If they die, I don't really care that much.
2: Yeah, th- when you say they're 115 points, and I know I use them too, it's just like, it's mind-blowing because they're it's worth so much more than that. It's just yeah, so... Yeah.
3: They feel yeah. like they're about a 400-point unit when they're stood in your army because of what you've invested into like, them.
2: My 10 spawn should be like 300, 400 points. Yeah, I and mean. then you
3: use them and they they project so much more threat than their, their stat line belies because you just... You don't even have to do the warp time play. The, the fact that your opponent has to consider it, it gives you that board control space where you can say... You can't stand there safely because then I will just be there now. Um, and with Do you things think like
2: more nurglings would help with this issue, though, in in like a not team uh, format list. I
3: don't really. I know that there are there are a lot of lists doing really well where there's like a critical mass of nerglings. I've been
2: running twenty eight, like five units of five, one unit of three, and I, feel I find like that to be really get,
3: good. Uh, the more nerglings you put into the list, the more aggressively you get battered by fast combat lists. If I'm gonna get, if I'm giving my like my opposing Blood Angels, like there are a few people in my old area that are playing like twenty to thirty Sanguinary Guard, the more nurglings I put in my list, the more I don't have to deal with that. Is yeah. kind of where I'm coming from.
2: Yeah, yeah. I think against Sanguinary Guard and stuff, they definitely will fall short. I guess it's part of partly a meta thing. Like I actually just played my Death Guard and Demonless versus Mr. Sieg's in our RTT yesterday. Um, and Richard Siegler is obviously one of the best players out there. He his blood angels were very focused on Indomitus stuff. So like a lot of his like side objective skirmishing stuff is scouts and storms and uh, outrider units. And those are pretty terrible at dealing with Nurglings. So it kind of worked out for me
3: there. I'm playing a meta with like your opponent's side skirmishing stuff is the third squad of Repentia. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Right. <laughs> like there were out of ten teams, four teams had twenty seven Repentia lists, I think. Um, Nurglings are aggressively bad in that meta. Whereas more stuff that's in the Fel like Spawn Aura. Is more threat projection I have. For sure, for sure.
2: Okay, that makes sense. It's uh it's very meta-dependent there, which is great because obviously it's it's easy to get lost in the sauce as an American player here who lives in a 40k trap house where it's like this is the meta, but there's a whole meta everywhere else in the world. So that's nice breath of breath of fresh air. Um you don't take Arch Contaminator, from what I can see. Uh reroll wounds for all plague weapons, uh Warlord Trait. Very good on. Your blight lords, although I guess they probably kill anything they touch. The blight
3: lords anyway. pretty much kill everything they touch anyway. If I'm going into custodes, they're either going to use transhuman or they ignore rerolls, and it doesn't really matter which one they do. If I'm winning on twos with uh, no rerolls or fours with re- or fours with rerolls, they can take the pick or they can spend four CV to ignore both. I figured it wasn't worth it for that one matchup, and everything else they overkill. It's just not necessary. It's not
2: a consideration for like the foul blight spawn. They already reroll ones, but it's yeah, nice.
3: They're already winning on three-roll on most stuff on 3 rerolling ones or 2 rerolling ones. It's also, I would have to start with one CP. And there is a point where you have to say, I don't have enough CP for an interrupt on turn one, and my list is built around not letting people charge me. So I need to have some like acknowledgement of the fact that I might get charged by two units. Uh, so starting with two CP is like the bare minimum I was willing to accept. I did originally not have the Forbidden Gem to have it in, and that's what my my teammate that played a very similar list ended up going with, but I found the Forbidden Gem gave me that counterplay for things like Opposing Judishars and uh, Custom Shield Captains that were trying to run around my backlines, where I could lock them down and still have all my stuff going, where I felt that that was more useful than a few rerolls on some damage output that's not the most important thing in the list.
1: Oh my goodness. Using a forbidden gem to shut down a Judicar aura is clutch. I had never considered that. That is really cool.
3: So if your opponent is going to run at you with a Judicar so they can turn, they can make your unit fight last so that when you make their unit not currently charging, they still go before you and you turn off the Judicar and they still have to charge you, it's like the best feeling in the world. (laughs) Because it's like, well, they're they're stood there now. They're going to have to charge you or stand in front of you. And like about half the time, they just choose to stand in front of you. And it's so much worse if they do, if they just let you get the charge distance.
2: Yeah, no, that's uh, I think the Forbidden Gem is like an auto-include for a lot of Chaos lists these days. Things like the Judicar and also Space Marines in general are, are very, very strong. And like a Super Smash Captain slamming into you and not attacking,
3: pretty great. Yeah, when the Super Smash Captain slams into you and then gets to, gets to just die to the epitome, it's always pretty funny. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I almost I did also get to use it to shut down a tank commander at one point, and that was just delicious.
2: <laughs> is there that's that's amazing. <laughs> I never even thought of that. Um is there any other units for this style of list that you consider that you didn't kind of that didn't make the cut or cut cut from testing?
3: So I originally did I originally had um like cultists and a second squad of Narglings instead of the uh, rubrics and the spawn, but just the cut of duplicity switch just gave me that. That nod to, yeah, I can play objective control because you can do things like teleporting the spawn about, which is quite funny and no one really expects because it does get the cult of duplicity keyword. Um, I originally think I had... Right, hold on,
1: stop for a second. Can you break that all down for me? Because I think okay. I understood what you said, but I'm not sure that I understand how those so, rules work. The so.
3: cult of duplicity is the special keyword that you get for being a thousands-ons attachment. Uh, so you get to choose one of the cults of the whatever it's called. And one of them is Call of Duplicity, so all units that aren't Zangor and Cultists get it, which includes such delights as Mutilith Vortex Beasts and Chaos Spawn, get the keyword, which means they can be targeted by the Psychic Power, which isn't restricted to anything. It's just select a Call of Duplicity unit within three, which becomes nine because you're Thousand Suns. Warp Charge 7, pick it up and redeploy it. So you can redeploy the Rubric Marines, the Terminator Sorcerer himself, or the Chaos Spawn to just go and grab dis- disparate objectives, pick up Engage on all front points. It's just a really nice little toolbox to have. If it's your first power of the turn, you're casting on a six with a thousand sun sorcerer. And it just gives you that nod to, okay, they've killed my stuff in that quarter, I'll just send some obsec over there. I'll maybe roll for the eight-inch charge on or the nine-inch charge onto their scouts and try and hold them down. It's just a nice little tool to have that's slightly more useful, I found, than the cult of magic. Because I was never casting like the damage powers. I was always doing wartime prescience, war time prescience. So having just the trick made Made me feel a little safer. And it ended up being, I think the rubrics were actually my, my MVP of the list because they did so much work with grabbing objectives, casting Weaver of Fates on themselves, and standing on cover. So they're on like a one up, three up against most things. That's uh, so
2: interesting because I was going to ask about that detachment and see if you could replace it with just Word Bearers because they can not have the stratagem to automatically pass warp time even if you fail and then it can't be denied. Same impressions. And those are powers, especially warp time. You just never want it to yeah, fail. You're it's never, never want... okay when it
3: fails. Yeah. So. So the warbear's the there is really nice. Was a consideration. I ended up feeling like starting with the one because again I would feel like I would have to start with the one CP because I would want to take the Malefic Tome for the plus one cast and the um, extra power, and that is useful. But the word Bear the support that I got in the warbear's attachment just didn't feel as useful. So getting the Rubric Marines as troops and also the spawn as opposed to just ten cultists and five more, three more Nurglings I just liked the, the flexibility of the Thousand attachment a little more. And as I said, warp time isn't actually that critical for this list. It, you're never really going for the warp time plays. You're just using them to keep people honest and saying, you have to respect that I could do that. That I never felt like I missed it. Because casting warp time, you don't. I don't actually want to send the beasts launching out from their auras, and the Blight Lords are generally not that close to the auras, to the casting anyway. That it doesn't completely matter.
2: completely honest with you, I've actually cut warp time from my Death Guard list. But uh, it's yeah. definitely, if you are going to take a warp time detachment, uh, I guess it makes sense that since you're not relying on it so hard, you want to be able to do a lot of things. I'm with you.
3: Yeah, if you're running a list that, you're, if you're running Mortarian or whatever, and you have to get warp time off, I think the word bears make sense. If you're, I think this is kind of the, the nice middle point between cutting what is effectively just a warp time detachment, because it doesn't do anything else, to going for a nice little middle ground detachment that gets you the psychic support that you want, but don't need. And then also some objective play with the mobility that you don't get in Death Guard.
1: Yeah, that pick up and redeploy is actually really powerful, particularly on like plays that you can make on turn five of the game when you know everybody's depleted and they're not standing everywhere. You know, there's a lot of times where that can just score you an extra five points. You know, there's or also whatever.
3: the uh, the nice little factor of you can use uh, cult familiar, I think it is, to change the power on the Rubric Marines as well, so you can change their smite out for Death Hex, teleport them over, and Death Hex someone. Which is quite fun.
2: That's a that's a classic favorite. I love that one. <laughs> um, I wish you had a third psychic, psychic in that attachment, so you could make use of capitalistic force to get it off. Is that you yeah, the there was a make?
3: consideration for dropping two blight lords for either another squad of rubrics or the zango shaman. But you only get just,
2: one flail if you go to eight blight lords. There, that's right? the
3: problem. Yeah, yeah the um, flails are
2: the money in that unit.
3: Yeah, I felt I felt like it would have been okay to do that because they don't actually end up in combat as often as you'd think they were for a big combat brick because people just run away from them, which is why they're great for that, like, controlling the board style. But I was just worried that if I did go down to one flail, people wouldn't respect their damage output enough, and then they would start charging them, and then, you know, there's always that chance that they just don't quite kill what they should Uh, that I didn't want to risk.
2: I guess that makes sense. Are there really, are there secondaries you kind of take that are a go-to for this army, for this
3: style? Um, I do have a list of that somewhere, but I'm just going to, I'll just rattle off roughly what I feel like. So while we stand, we fight. It was pretty reliable because you've got the Lord of Change and the Cotard Epitome that normally run around in a body system. And if one doesn't die, the other won't. Uh, and then you've got the Terminator Sorcerer who's normally in the middle of the block of everything. And that's fairly reliable if your opponent's not playing something like Custodes, where they're just going to get into you with the Unstoppable Destroyer Smash Captain, who can consolidate wherever he wants, gets into your backfield. That can be unfortunate. Uh, That's generally pretty safe. Grind them down isn't a terrible choice, as long as you're conservative with your Nurglings. Uh, But the ones that I really love are Engage in All Fronts, which I think everyone's taking, because it's just so easy to get in most missions with Nurglings Advanced Deploying. And then by the time that you get up to the midboard, if I need to grab a specific quarter, I can teleport the rubrics of the spawn into it. Um, mission secondaries like direct assault, which is the hold the center of your opponent's deployment zone and priority targets, which is just the easiest secondary in the game. And then you'll have like specific kill ones like if my opponent's running a lot of vehicles, bring it down is a fairly obvious choice. Assassinate if they're playing something with a lot of characters. Um raised banners is an option because I do have a little bit more secondary scoring than traditional nerglings have. So I've got the characters that consider and then also the rubrics yeah, in
2: infantry-based things.
3: Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's an option too. But normally it's very variable depending on like what the mission is. mentioned looks
2: scramblers. Like. Is that a thing? Like how do you do scramblers I on this
3: list? I don't do scramblers. Oh, you don't? Okay. Just great. as general principle, I don't like scramblers. I understand that it's a very powerful secondary, but it's just I have an aversion to that capping at 10 points
2: oh that um, bothers you yeah I, bothers. when i look at banners in my brain i also cap it at 10 points i understand get you 15 theoretically but like it just uh, doesn't I,
3: banners for me if you get board control you can normally pick up like four or five points on the last turn
2: that's fair if you're so, if you're swinging it back at the end there yeah. i'm with
3: you so but I, I don't player. think banners much it's just it's one of those ones that i can take um and then Psychic Ritual, again, yeah, Psychic Ritual is a fantastic option for this list, or Mental Interrogation if they've got a lot of characters that they need to be doing things with and you don't want to be locked at the center. So yeah, th- there's a lot of options. There aren't many secondaries you can't take with it, other than I mean, obviously, A Boar the Witch is not an option, but other than that, you can kind of do what you want.
2: So, uh, let me pull up your list. I, I close the tab. How many points is your Terminator unit? Do you know? Stop 444. Okay. Very fours. <laughs> um,
3: yeah,
0: it's not I a
2: have, I use basically plague marines and rhinos for pretty much the same role, uh, where I have the grenade trick with the biologist putrefier to use a strat to have everyone fire grenades and then everyone. Uh, so, you know, there's there's the trick. You the have
3: crimes. CP. I don't. I start with three in this. Yeah, you only. start with fifty percent more than I do. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. That's fair.
2: Um, but that that but trick like, costs three I CP. Also, so. I usually use it once per game, and it's a three CP adventure between vets, grenades. And extra range. And I don't use my CP on anything
3: else. So there are a few reasons that I don't. I don't personally like the trick, especially in because this was a no forged event. I couldn't use the termite, which is where I think that that really shines. Um, I just don't love it. I like being able to kill a unit with shooting.
2: Like I, then, then charge what comes out of it. Like that, that's or your something. personal
3: problem, man. Killing units with shooting is overrated. I
2: know, I know. I, <laughs> it's just a useful thing to be able to do. You it know? is Clean a very useful. It's a, a very useful it. thing.
3: But you're, yeah. I, you, I, I'm looking. I look at it as you're looking at 65 points for the guy. I need 180 points for the squad itself.
2: I guess also to really make it worth it, that's where you want Arch Contaminator, which either is another command point for yeah, the world. So I Trace, need to think Arch Contaminator, I need a Rhino, list, which I yeah. probably
3: want to give Feel No Pain just to make sure they actually get there. You're looking at pulling 250 points out of the list, which is already kind of balanced around, balanced around what it does. And if I start pulling elements, I'm looking at either losing the Lord of Change or do I just drop the Demon Detachment entirely? You're looking at a very different list the second you start trying to go down the route of running that. Uh, it's not the same core i have played that list it, it is very strong but it wasn't what i was looking for for a team event where i could just say i didn't need to kill stuff with shooting because i'm going to play board control that that is the entire point of this list is to control space through never actually doing anything i want to stand places and say you can't stand in these places or else you'll lose it's works. all just
2: projecting thread not actually wanting to have to pull through on that thread i gotcha that's cool um, one thing I do like about the MSU noise marine or it's not noise marine plague marine units I roll I run one unit eight for the grenades we already just went over that then two units of five and a rhino so I have two rhinos that's definitely more points than your bite lord so I want that to be stead but it's not that
3: much more it's probably about five hundred for those two units uh two units of five would be one twenty yeah, it's two
2: forty for them and then a unit of eight is about 190,
3: 192, yep yeah, so that's four and then two rhinos two rhinos so yeah you're looking at about just on, just shy six hundred points. It's high 600.
2: So it's, it's not quite the same. But what I find is they'll allow me to, one, be obsec so I can get out of the rhino, move, warp time, charge. You trick to obsec. Get obsec just places. You don't need flails- obsec if everything
3: is on the objective is dead.
2: <laughs> I mean, that's true, too. That's true, too. No, that, that's uh, being facetious. It's more um, flails, also. You know, I got six flails in my army. You have two. Yours are better. You have more attacks them, them. Um, especially because I can have flails in different places on the table and in different turns.
3: Yeah, no doubt. And I think that that is a, diff- it's a very different list once you start going down that route. Um personally it's just it doesn't appeal to me. I find Plague Marines slightly underwhelming, just personally in my experience. I understand that people are having success with them, but they're not something that they ha I haven't found a way to make to use them that makes them work, whereas I had to found a way to make the Blight Lords work. So maybe that's just a playstyle thing where for me Yeah, and I
2: mean forty K is in such a healthy place Right now, where you can, we can have these discussions, right? I can like plague Marines, and you can write bite lords, and it's not me, like one of us is right. I like the ability to
3: have a deep striking brick that could project force away from my, where my main brick is. Yeah, but see, I like I'm not to,
2: about. I, I just like deep striking. Yeah, you have an its somewhere, somewhere elements, else. It's don't just don't so just not how I choose to play 40k generally. Yeah, not for, not something 444 points. It, I, I like,
3: like the the self sufficient because my because my army is so very resilient in its brick. You can't efficiently kill spawn. You can't efficiently kill the Lord of Change. That when i stay in that brick i need to have something to go and keep people honest in other areas of the board and the blight lords do that for me without having to go there so i don't need to worry about my rhino getting nuked turn one by triple scorpions disintegrators or anything like that i just i have the blight lords who can drop in self sufficient they cloud a flies and then you can't shoot them right it doesn't matter as long as there's a lord of change to slightly closer to where your stuff is and you can't go that way or i can make it so that if you go that way you still end up close to lord of change they will do their thing, and you don't have enough stuff on that flank to take it off of, it off of Template Lords, just fundamentally. And that's kind of the way that I like to approach it. And again, that, that might be sort of a, a slight side effect of the team format where, yeah, in a singles event, maybe you do have more advantages from being able to be in a lot more places with your flails, but having one concentrated application of overwhelming force really worked for the way that this was played.
2: No, it makes perfect sense to me on on that front it's really just a it's a different style of list of that and that's partly why i have more nerglings i'm up to 30 in my list whereas you only have 12 because i want the plague Marines to be the the core the center the brick where the nurglings do the skirmishing on the sides whereas you can deep strike your blight lords and they can do skirmishing on the sides too as well
3: yeah it does feel weird to have a five to have a 450 point skirmishing unit
2: yeah, mm. right. And when you said because that's why I made the comparison. But the why, trick what is, is your thought of a rhinos, the but The bigger your hits.
3: skirmishing unit is, the more that the more the more stuff it can't that can't deal with it. There is true. That's that's why
2: I think blade are so good too. They're they're great at skirmishing. Like nothing, they really do beat up all the other skirmishers. Yeah.
3: Nothing out is four hundred and fifty points of light lords, and then because <laughs> spawn are so underpointed, it's like I've still got eighteen hundred points in my core. Is kind of how I look today. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's, it's a beautiful way of looking at it. It really is. Um,
3: and then it. you don't have, it's even slightly more than that because the spawn are probably slightly too cheap or they're being buffed up with CP to be at a point where they are, they're punching above their weight. Let's put it that way to not just say that they're underpointed. because please leave spawn the way they are, Games Workshop, please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: I'm um, sure right, they us
1: well, Let me ask a, a really quick question. Ines, can you summarize the relics and warlord traits that you've sort of selected for this army? I know we've, We've talked about a lot of them in yeah, different, different in context, but just break it down and sort of the reasons sure. why you chose so the ones you did, so that people understand overall.
3: Actually, only two. Re- there are three relics and one warlord trait. So the warlord trait is on the Lord of Change as we discussed. That's his minus one damage, and then his relic is the three and vulnerable save. The epitome has the forbidden gem, which is the one that lets him or lets her turn off a character within twelve at the start of any enemy phase. If I roll three dice and uh, I believe it's beat their leadership, she casts a psychic power called Phantasmagoria reduces leadership within twelve by one. So it's normally, can you roll an eight on three dice? Which I'm willing to bet the game on. Well, no, I'm not. I'm willing to bet a decent chunk of points on that because if it it's almost always upside. Either you're getting charged by something anyway, or you spent a CP to. Oh no, I spent a CP on a commander roll that didn't work. Kind of thing, right? It's not. It's not a big investment for a very potentially powerful effect that you're. Actually, how do I put this? I'm not willing to bet the game on it, but neither's my opponent. And that almost always works in my favor because you can't make the bet on will I fail the 30% to stop you doing something Uh, because it's very much, it's like an opposed dice roll where I have plus three to the roll kind of thing. You can't bet the game on it and that gives me control. And then the last thing I have is the seven inch five invulnerable save for units within for the Noxious Blightbringers relic, the Demon's Toll, which is new from War of the Spider. So that's what gives the spawn their five invulnerable save. And it also gives all of my characters a 5-up vulnerable save just to make them a little more resilient to snipers as well, which is quite nice. Yeah. And that's actually all I have for uh, Relics and World of Traits. It's yeah, you just spend
2: 10 CP before the game. It's really nonchalant. <laughs>
3: yeah, it's... Uh, well, 2 goes on Contaminated Monstrosity, 5 goes on Detachments, 1 goes on Exalted, and then 2 on Relics. And that's yeah. my 10. So
2: I know you have the Lord of Change because he's basically unkillable and all that stuff. And he screens for your Terminators and your with Cloud of Flies, uh, your spawn, do your thing. Are you worried about someone just shooting you so hard? I don't want to get too specific in the mattress, but something like admec that just shoot. Like, do you think they can out-muscle you?
3: So there is one nice trick is we don't have an admec player in our meta like in the country of Scotland, which is quite no, nice. You don't live
2: next door to Seeks?
3: No, no, sadly not. <laughs> um, no, so we don't really have anybody who plays that style of admin list we have one guy who runs like this the runaway guy the runaway dogs and that's about it in his sister's list we don't have anyone that's just playing the out and out online it's just not really a thing here yet over time and when i start going to like events where it's legal to travel we'll we might start seeing that a bit more but for the time being it really wasn't a consideration for me and then any list that does just out muscle you i'm relying on winning on secondary or winning on like the actual mission because even if you have incredibly efficient firepower shooting spawn at a line of sight you can't do it with enough firepower that will actually reliably kill them three scorpions aren't going to kill five spawn with that much likelihood the same with like five basilisks or whatever because
2: no no but it's it's one of those things you just get started eventually you get there you know
3: yeah some but will you get there before the Blight Lords have dropped nine inches away from you and rolled the hard charge with a re-roll. They'll hit that half the time, and then I'm in your army with Blight Lords. Now you have to deal with those instead, and I'm still in all the secondary kind of thing. There there are ways and means to get around dealing with shooting armies, because your stuff is so efficiently defensive that even incredibly efficient shooting just isn't that efficient at killing you. Spawn will tank a couple turns from Demolisher Cannon tank commanders without really breaking a sweat if you stick the minus on one to hit on them. It's just yeah. not that big a deal.
2: Uh it's interesting that you put it that way. Like I use spawn too and they, they always just don't die and
3: it's magical. But
2: I am I have not played against like the proper gunline guard or the proper gunline admin to see how it goes. So I was just curious.
3: Well, the trick that I tried to do with it is I only present them one squad at a time where you stick my asthma on it or you try and get or you put it in a forest or whatever, just so that it's minus one to hit, and then guard are generally hitting only fives at that point, unless it's tank commanders. And tank commanders are so expensive that there's just not enough of them to deal with you while also preventing like if you're doing that you're not killing my nerdlings and then i'm scoring all the secretary points kind of thing it's kind of how i look at it yeah you can take all my bits my stuff to bits but if you've not done that by turn three or turn four are you scoring any points maybe not and then again there's that aspect of all right we'll just pair you into the blood angels player with the death company that will charge you turn one you have fun with that
2: and then the pairings match up for the teams it definitely yeah. makes so sense.
3: just quickly to run through that actually my teammates were running a uh it's like a 16 sanguinary guard and death company list and a all gravis iron hands father father of the future iron father pharos so we had three lists that were aggressively hostile to melee armies you can't charge blood angels because they are faster than you and better than you in combat and you're going to charge into iron hands you're just going to die you're like i'm sorry you you don't win that fight they're iron hands um so what we did was we just paired for whatever our best shooting matchup was was how we tried to pair it and then whatever the melee armies will just lose to us because we are bad to melee armies and that was how we sort of organized it that if there was a list that was going to be a massive issue for shooting we made sure that we got it into a matchup that could deal with it or a matchup where we didn't care if it lost because we had better matchups elsewhere
2: and i think that's really Having a list like that in a team format is very, very powerful. I definitely recommend taking lists like that. Like, there's a floor to how bad your list can do, and just by existing. And that's so ours
3: was the uh, six plasma inceptors, six eradicators, six blade guard, 30 intercessors, and a craft pod iron hands list that just stands there and goes, If you want to try and have a shooting match, I will win 100% of the time. I can't be anywhere while I'm doing it, but if you don't have stuff left on turn four, I can probably pick up the primary, and he went 5-0, and, and it was horrific to all of his opponents. Um, that was kind of how we tried to match it, and it works. It worked really well. We won all five rounds that we played. Uh, I think I lost one game personally in round two against Harlequins because I just got the runaround a little bit, but other than that, it was just pair me into melee matchups, and I will outbrick them. Pair me into shooting matchups, I will hide and outscore them, and it worked.
2: Well, I think that that's pretty much... Answers all my questions. For. I'm very interested to see how you play this in specific matchups. I know we kind of hinted at that a little bit versus shooting ones, but it'll be very cool to see. John, you have any other questions you want to ask Guinness? Uh, no, so let's, let's talk about that. For those of you that don't
1: know or are new to the Art of War podcast, this is our first discussion that we call our strategy discussion, where we talk about what's in a list, what the overall strategy is. You can think about it as a macro discussion about the list. In episode two, which is available to patrons only, uh, we will talk about the details of optimal play within us this list specifically focused around individual matchups. So we'll, we'll talk about things like, you know, what stratagems are you saving your CP for? Or what are you prioritizing in a matchup versus salamanders, for example? Um, and we'll really get into like the nitty gritty, dirty details of playing the list and you'll, you'll actually get a kind of a user's guide and how to play the list in each of the individual matchups, which is important because, um, as with all good players, right, this list has got a lot of flexibility in how it approaches different problems, and the way you apply those those problem-solving uh, units and et cetera is uh, psychic abilities and everything else is sort of um, how you take the list from being like a 50-50 list or a 60-40 list to a 90-10 list. <laughs> so hopefully, uh, all of you patrons we'll, we'll see you all on episode two and if you haven't signed up for our patreon li- yet you might consider it um and before we go i'd be remiss if i didn't mention that hopefully you found us on the frontline gaming network where we keep adding more and more amazing podcasts all the time art Award down under is now added to the team so if uh, i would say that the frontline gaming network is the place to be for competitively focused podcasts all right everyone we'll see you over on episode two and for everyone else we'll see you next week
0: like the strategy discussion you heard want to hear more about the tactics of this list sign up for our patreon at aow40k.com where we go deep into details of optimal play this has been art of war a strategy and tactics podcast for warhammer 40k Hosted by Nick Nanavati and John Damaris. Produced by Seamus Ronan. Find us at aow40k.com. And of course, connect Connect. on Facebook. Just look for AOW 40K. AOW 40K. AOW 40K. Till next time.